Good morning. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter seven. As Jake said, we're talking about false prophets today. If you're taking notes, the title of my sermon is Beware of False Prophets. We have a sobering passage before us today, uh, one that we need to heed carefully. It's probably not one that we want. I'm guessing this is not a passage underlined in many of your Bibles. It's probably nobody's life verse here to beware of false prophets. Oh, that's just my life verse. I live by that passage. It's not usually one of those passages, but it is a passage we need. We are in Matthew chapter seven, where our Lord is concluding his masterful sermon on the mount. Last week we saw how he summed up everything he has to say about how we are to treat others in just one sentence. Actually, he did it in about half a sentence because Jesus is a masterful teacher. He can sum up his whole social ethic in just half a sentence. So look again with me at verse 12, which we studied last week. Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Here Jesus teaches us what real love looks like. It's getting ourselves into the mind and the heart of another person. It's getting into their shoes, as it were. It's what John Piper called imaginative empathy. And so we get into their life, we get into their perspective, and then from that point we try to envision how we'd want to be treated if we were them. How we'd want to be treated if we were in their shoes. This is what Jesus says is at the bottom of everything he has to teach us about how to relate it to others. This is what he can kind of simmer it down to. And then he adds, it's also what you can simmer the whole law and the prophets down to. This little half sentence is also a full summary of the whole social ethic we're taught in the Old Testament. And, And then, like a good teacher, Jesus brings to focus everything he said, he brings it all to this point, and then in verses 13 and 14, he brings us to a point of decision. He forces us to make a choice. So look at verse 13 and 14 again. Again, reviewing a little from last week. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So with this, Jesus is now calling us to make a decision. Jesus doesn't want us to just admire the Sermon on the Mount. He's not content with us just extolling its virtue. Wow, you're Jesus. He was such a great teacher and he had all this insight into humanity and oh, you know, he taught love and the Beatitudes, they're so beautiful. And now Jesus doesn't want us to just admire his teaching. He wants us to make a decision. Which way will we go? Two two paths lie before each of us. The one is entered by a wide gate and a broad, it is a broad and comfortable way that surprisingly leads to destruction. It's the easy street. And it's what Jesus has been preaching against all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. 
The easy street, the broad way, is the way of mere external righteousness. Uh, religiosity, a kind of religious life. It's the life the Pharisees lived in Jesus' day. The religious leaders whose righteousness could be kind of gritted out solely by, or at the external level. You know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't swear falsely, you know, go to church on Sundays, don't really do bad things, try to be a decent person. That's one way to live. It's a religious life characterized by external righteousness. And the other way, the other fork in the road goes off the other way is the one entered through a narrow gate. It's a hard and a narrow road. Few find it, but surprisingly, Jesus says, it leads to life. And this hard way, this hard way is the life of discipleship to Jesus Christ. It's true Christianity. It's the kingdom of God in us, which is characterized by this deep inner righteousness that we hunger and thirst after. This is what Jesus has been describing for us. This is what verse 12, the golden rule, summarizes for us. It's the way of love. It's love for God and love for others that works works itself out in our lives from the inside out. This is the person who goes down that narrow path. This is the person who has repented of their sins, trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And when we do this, the very life of God is birthed inside of us. Oh, beloved, I mean, just get thrilled by that for a minute. You, if you believe in Jesus, have been regenerated. There is a new heart inside of you that you did not have, that now desires God and desires the things of God. That's how you know you're really saved. And all of this happens, it happens in our heart, it changes us from the inside out, and we begin to change, we become poor in spirit, we, be, we start to grow in humility. We mourn over our sin, and we mourn over the sin of this world, and we, we hunger for that, and thirst for that real righteousness. The kind that's not boasting, because I don't murder people, but instead is striving not to even be angry with them in my heart. The kind of righteousness that's not content by not committing adultery, but fights against the temptation to even lust after somebody. The kind of righteousness that fights to love our enemies and to yearns to pray to God as our heavenly Father and lays up treasures in heaven and seeks first the kingdom of God. This is the righteousness, Jesus says, that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It exceeds their external righteousness of mere religiosity. This is what real and inner heart righteousness looks like. And Jesus ends his sermon calling us, make a decision then, which way will you go? Choose this day whom you will serve. Jesus calls us to a choice and Jesus urges us to go the right way. Do you see that right there, beloved? Right in verse 13. It's this beautiful little exhortation. It feels a little out of place, but the first thing he says is enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow, enter, listen, listen, enter by the narrow gate. What am I talking about? Okay, let me tell you. Well, there, there's two ways you can go. There's this broad way, and it's a bad way. And I'm telling you, go by the, the narrow way. Enter by the narrow gate. This is the great call that comes from the heart of our Lord. Each of us comes to a fork in the road in our life, and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount brings us to that fork. He says, you gotta make a decision. And he stands at the fork, and he says, don't go that way. Don't pretend 
Don't conform externally. Don't be merely religious. It has the appearance of godliness, but there's no power in it. Its end is destruction. That's the way of death. Instead, go God's way. Yes, it's a hard road. I'll be honest with you. It's narrow and it's dangerous. But let me tell you, its way is life. The poet Robert Frost, to my understanding, was no Christian, but how right he was in this regard when he wrote, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Going the harder way of true righteousness, the path that few find, but that, but that leads to life, it makes all the difference. So friend, you, you stand at a crossroad today. Each of you do. Old person, young person, man, woman, doesn't matter. You stand before a fork in the road. And both ways are marked heaven. Both ways promise to get you there. Only one is lying to you and the other is telling the truth. One says all you really need is to be a pretty good person who knows Jesus, knows him. And the gooder you are, the better. The other says you're a sinner in need of a savior and Jesus is that savior. He is. And Jesus says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. Let him come to me. I will give him water of living life. And more than that, Jesus promises, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. Out of you will come real righteousness. You must choose which way you will go. You have a decision to make. And it's not an easy one. Jesus is honest about that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? He tells us the truth. He tells us those who find it are few. Not many find it. While those who enter by the wide gate, the easy way, Jesus says, they're many, they're many. And at least one reason for this is because of what Jesus teaches us in our passage today, verses 15 through 20. It's because there are false prophets that also stand at that fork in the road and try to obscure the narrow gate. And they do everything they can to get you to go the wrong way. They're like demonic traffic cops trying to direct traffic down the broad path that leads to destruction. And even if we disregard them, even if we bypass them and take the narrow path that leads to life, one of the things that makes this path so hard is because false prophets keep appearing on it trying to get us to abandon it. They seduce us with promises of an easier way. And tragically, they are very good at their job. They are very successful. Look again at verse 13. Those who enter by that broad and narrow, I mean broad and easy path, Jesus says those who enter by it are many, many. 
And then look down at verse 22 at the end on the last day, Jesus says, on that day, many, same word, same word, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Were we not religious, Jesus? Did we not do the right things? Did we not commit adultery? Did we not murder? And Jesus will say to them in verse 23, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We're gonna study false professions which is what we see in verses 21 through 23. We're gonna study that in a couple weeks, but this week, we need to hear Jesus' warning against false prophets in verses 15 through 20, because they are very real, and they are very dangerous, and sadly, they are very successful. So let's read our passage now. All that, that was just a preview to get you, I was just getting you warmed up for our topic. I was getting myself warmed up. Are you warmed up? Yes. Okay. I'll take you at your word. Please follow along now as I read God's holy and authoritative word to us this morning. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. May the Lord now bless the preaching and the believing of his word. As you strive to enter the narrow gate and walk the hard way of real righteousness that leads to life, Jesus warns you in this passage to beware of those who would mislead you. Jesus would warn you against them and he would warn you or equip you on how to recognize them, how to discern them because they are recognizable. So uh, I had two points this morning. Um, I had two points about being aware of the false prophets and warning against them and then about how we watch out for them. And, but I realized the length of this sermon uh, would have exhausted you all. Um, I, by the time I got to watch out for them, you all would have just been so drained, I don't know if you would have been able to heed the words and watch out for them. And so uh, we are going to make this into two sermons uh, this week and next week we'll talk about beware the false prophets and then and then we got to do something about false professions which maybe we'll do on Christmas Eve or something I don't I don't I no, we won't I don't know when we'll do it we'll figure out a time some of you are like oh, maybe he will no I'm not going to do that to you we'll find something more Christmassy uh, but we will get to that because that too is an important important topic. So really one point today with numerous subpoints for you and the one point is beware of the false prophets. 
Like I said, false prophets are real, they are a real thing, and we want to begin by defining them. Uh, this is the first subpoint I want us to consider, definition. We need to make sure we know what we are talking about. What is it, or who is it, we need to be aware of? So broadly speaking, a prophet is someone who speaks for God. Uh, a prophet speaks on God's behalf. That's its broadest meaning, and in that respect, uh, I could be considered a prophet. Uh, as I preach God's word up here. I asked my kids last night, you know, what is a prophet? And uh, you know, they told me, well, someone who sees the future. Uh, okay, well, if that's what you think of as a prophet, that's not me, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, I do not see the future. Uh, but as much as I'm speaking on God's behalf as I declare his word, then I am functioning in some sense as a prophet. Uh, this is why old uh, Christian books uh, would be titled, on preaching, would be titled things like the art of prophesying. Uh, because as much as a man of God stands and declares God's will, he is in a prophetic sense. That's the broadest understanding of prophet. Now, then there are other instances or other usage of that word in scripture. Uh, the one in both the Old and the New Testament that we think of the most probably are men who not only spoke for God, but they also, in speaking for him, received authoritative revelation from God. So these are the men we think of from the Old Testament like Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah or from the New Testament the apostles Paul and John or Peter. They received authoritative revelation from God and that became to us scripture. Then there are also the kinds of prophets talked about in the New Testament. Another kind uh, which is those who have the gift of prophecy or who are given the gift of prophecy. They also receive a kind of revelation from God, but it's, it's not authoritative like scripture. It's, it's governed by scripture. Uh, and we see this gift listed, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 14. So there are different kinds of prophets in the Bible, but the general characteristic they all share is they speak for God. And that's the broad understanding and is what Jesus is referring to here. Those who speak for God. And so false prophets claim to speak for God, but do not. This is a problem we see over and over again throughout the Old Testament. If you want to go study that this week, here are a few passages in the Old Testament where you can study false prophets, 1 Kings 22, Jeremiah chapter 6 and Jeremiah 14, also Ezekiel 13, and I'll leave that to your own study. In Jesus' day, uh, the very scribes and Pharisees had become false prophets. So the religious leaders in Jesus' day had become false prophets. They looked religious, they sounded religious, but actually they preached a false gospel and they had a shallow kind of righteousness, that a works-based righteousness, and they used, they used the people of Israel to gain their own end. So there were false prophets in the Old Testament, there were false prophets in Jesus' day, and there arose in the early church more false prophets. The New Testament calls them many things. For instance, pseudo-Christ in Matthew 24, 24. Pseudo-apostles in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, 13. Pseudo-prophets and pseudo-brothers in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26. Pseudo-teachers in two, uh, 2 Peter 2, 1 and pseudo-speakers in 1 Timothy 4.2. What's pseudo mean? 
False, it's the Greek word there is, is pseudo. It means false, a sham, they're a phony. They are a real thing, they are saying things, they are acting like, but they're not the real thing. They are fake versions, they are false versions, they're counterfeit prophets. And sadly, there is always an audience for them. There is always an audience for them. Second Timothy 4.3 warns us, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now, that's an interesting passage. Mark that one there for a minute. What's first interesting to me is he says, people will not, what? People will not endure sound teaching. Now that's an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? They will not endure sound teaching. Follow this here. Sound teaching has to be endured because it kills your flesh. You suffer under it because it makes heavy demands of you. Yes, it promises resurrection, but first it says you have to be willing to die. And so rather than die, rather than endure sound doctrine, we accumulate for ourselves teachers who suit our own passions. Teachers who scratch our itching ears, who will say just what we want them to say. And if anyone needs to understand the danger of this, it's us in the day of the internet today. For we live in a time where people can find anyone who appears solid, but just says what you want them to say. Have you seen that? What is that, confirmation bias? Like people just Google what they want to hear and find people to support what they want to believe. And that's how we get false prophets. So point number two, danger. Danger, false prophets are real and they are dangerous deadly dangerous, and sadly, as I've said, they're very successful. And Jesus warns us, they're coming. Beware of false prophets who come to you. False prophets are coming, and they are coming to this church. I'm not talking about a danger out there. I'm not talking right now about what's out on TBN that we all know is there but that we try to avoid. I'm not talking about dangers out there. I'm talking about dangers right in here. I have seen false teachers rise up in our midst. I've seen them, we have seen them, they're pastors, we have confronted them and some of you know them. There are false teachers that have arisen in our midst, and more will come, Jesus promises. Not only that, I'm sure today that if I had the opportunity to sift through your bookshelf, all of your bookshelves, or all of the sermons that you listen to right now, I'm confident that in some of our homes, I would find people that I would tell you that is a false prophet. So I'm talking about a real and present danger. 
Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you. They are coming. Later in another context on the Olivet Discourse, as Jesus looked down through time, he said, I want you to know this, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. There's that word again, many. When you start looking at false prophecy in scripture, false prophets, you find that word many a lot. He references Matthew 24, 11 there. Similarly, the Apostle Paul, in his farewell address to the Ephesian elders, this is a, one of my main passages for my class uh, that I'll be teaching for the Ethiopian Pastors College. He tells the elders, the pastors there, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, or your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. That's in Acts 20, verses 28 through 30. Let's look at a few other passages. Romans 16, 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Friends, I, I can tell you people who have done that to our church, who have done this to our denomination, Reminds me of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, you know, Alexander, who did me great harm, beware of him, he tells Timothy. Watch out. Avoid them. They are dangerous. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. How can they keep telling lies? How can they say they're a Christian and they believe this, but they're leading people astray like this? How can they do this? Because their consciences are seared. 2 Peter 2.1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. 1 John 4.1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Because you see this again and again and again and again, there is the problem identified for us in the scriptures about false prophets. They have always been a threat. They've always been a clear and present danger and they will be until Jesus comes again. We will always be contending with them. And the clear message of the Covenant of Grace Church is that false prophets will come here. They will come here and they will arise up from our midst. This is so elemental in scripture, it's just everywhere 
And yet, I think it's easy for us to think we are insulated from this kind of thing. And we are shocked when it happens. We are shocked when it happens. And yet, almost every epistle, and our Lord, multiple times, says, don't be surprised. This is going to happen. But we think we're protected, we think we are safe, but friends, the very churches, the very churches that Paul and John and Peter planted and the very churches that they cared for and established, those were the very churches in the New Testament that were in danger of being led astray by false teachers. One's cared for by the apostles. And all you've got is Bert and me and Jacob. So we all have to be aware, we have to be on guard, we have to be alert. I mean, think about Judas, right? Spent two, three years with our Lord and Savior, confessed to be a disciple, was in the inner circle, was even the treasurer, he had a position of trusted leadership, but he was not saved. Could he have had a better discipler? Watch out. Be on your guard. Jesus warns us, beware of false prophets who come to you. That word beware alone should signal for us how dangerous they are. Beware. When my family goes on a walk in our neighborhood, there's a a house that has a sign posted all around the property that says, beware of dog. And the sign's not really needed because there's this mean dog that lives there who just barks ferociously at you and shows its teeth and gnaws and my kids never like it and they always just kind of like skitting away from it, right? Because it is a obviously dangerous dog. Nevertheless, the owners put up that sign just in case you're not sure in case the dog's got a, a down day, maybe he's a little tired and he's not jumping up, and they're saying, hey, just beware of this dog. It's dangerous. And Jesus says, beware, false prophets. In fact, this is interesting. In the Greek, this phrasing here literally means, this is one of the most interesting things I read this week. This phrasing here literally means hold your mind back from. Hold your mind back from. Or turn your mind away from. Don't expose your mind to the teaching of false prophets. Don't pay attention to them. Don't heed them. Don't follow them. Avoid them. Don't even put your mind in the vicinity of what they teach. They're dangerous. They will perverse your thinking. They will twist your understanding. They'll poison your thinking. Beware of false prophets who come to you. They're so dangerous. How so, Jesus? Why are they so dangerous? Well, he tells us in verse 15, because inwardly, that means in reality, truthfully, in their heart of hearts, they are ravenous wolves. The number one enemy of sheep in in ancient Palestine was the wolf. This predator that roamed the hills and stalked its prey and didn't at that precise moment when the flock was most vulnerable or when some poor little sheep got lost or tarried behind from the others or whatever he did, that's when the wolf would strike. And he's not a nice, nice little butcher. He just kind of, you know, carves up. Well, okay, I'd like some little prime rib here, you know, the sheep and lamb chops and all. You know. Like, no, the wolf just tears into it. 
greedily. He's ravenous. And that's what the word ravenous means, excessively greedy. So a false prophet, he's, he's excessively greedy. He's just selfish. He's self-serving, he's self-seeking. He uses sheep as a means to gain his own end. No matter what he says, their good is not his aim. His own good is his aim. So they're dangerous. They're self-serving, they're ravenous. But not only that, they're also dangerous because they're deceptive. This brings us to our third subpoint. Deception. They're dangerous because inwardly they're ravenous, but also because outwardly they're deceptive. Verse 15 again. It's amazing how much is packed into this one little verse, isn't it? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So they come dressed like sheep, even though they're wolves. They are vile, dangerous, brute beasts. They're predators, but they dress up like sheep. They're like the wolf in the story of Little Red Riding Hood, right? Who dressed up like grandma to appear friendly and harmless, but actually was this ravenous wolf, this hungry carnivore that wanted to eat Little Red Riding Hood up. And the lesson for us is straightforward. Prophets, false prophets, really do look like Christians. In a lot of ways, they fool us. That's how they get in among us. And you say, oh, yeah, Jace, listen, yeah, I, I know they claim Christ, yeah, yeah, but you know, I've watched some of them on TV, and I could, sm- I could spot a guy like that a thousand miles away. There's no way I'd put myself under his teaching. And I'd say, well, kudos to you. Your power of of discernment has been trained. That's great. But that's because that's the false prophet you're not susceptible to. There are others you don't see. That's the nature of deceit. You won't see them easily. They come in camouflaged to look just like us. Because listen, there are, there are heretics out there. There are heretics who, people who deny the faith, they don't believe the Bible, they teach against it, or maybe they say, you know, they're cool with Jesus and his teachings about love or whatever, but actually, the way they live their life and the things that they teach plainly are opposed to scripture. Those are heretics. And they're pretty easy to see. Then there are also apostates, right? People like Joshua Harris, who some of us knew. People who were in the faith, claimed faith in Jesus Christ, even taught the faith, once they were a Christian, but now they're not. Either they've abandoned their faith or, or they've lived in such a way they've been disciplined out of the church for what they believe or how they behave. And those two are people who are easy to spot, heretics and apostates. They're generally easy to spot. They believe or behave in ways clearly contrary to scripture, outlandishly, it's contrary to scripture. But then there are false prophets. And these are the ones that are hard to spot. 
And this is who Jesus is talking about. It's the person who talks about Jesus. It's the person who talks about the cross, talks about God, talks about the Bible, talks about going to church, talks about the Holy Spirit. It's a person that hangs out with Christians or people who who really are Christians follow them. And maybe he's got a pulpit. Maybe he's got a platform. Maybe he writes books and christianbooks.com sells them. or, Or maybe he's a YouTuber. The point is the false prophet is someone who looks and sounds a whole lot like a Christian and that's who Jesus warns us against here. Beware of him. Looks can be deceiving. In 2 Corinthians 11, the apostle Paul explains, Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. The false prophet looks like a servant of light, but is actually a servant of darkness. Jude 4 says that He creeps in unnoticed. They look and sound like Christians, which means they not only know their Bibles, but generally speaking, they're pleasant people. They seem nice. They probably smile a lot, volunteer their time to help. They come across as helpful. Do you all all remember Jim Jones? Maybe some of you are too young to remember Jim Jones. Jim Jones uh, was a leader of a cult back in the 70s who ended up leading over 900 people to commit suicide uh, by cyanide. You can look it up if you don't know about it, Jonestown Massacre. It's a horrible story, uh, but it's it's a warning to us all. Jim Jones claimed to be a Christian minister, and you know why people followed him? It's because one of the books that was written about him described why people followed him. This is what they said. This is what people would say of him. He knew how to inspire hope. He was committed to people in need. He counseled prisoners and juvenile delinquents. He started a job placement center. He opened rest homes and homes for the disabled. He had a health clinic. He organized a vocational training center. He provided free legal aid. He founded a community center. He preached about God and used the Bible. He even claimed to cast out demons, to do miracles, and to perform healings. He looked like a Christian. He smelled like a Christian. He talked like a Christian. But inwardly, he was a ravenous wolf. Now, I know that's an extreme example, but it illustrates the point They look like sheep. But Jesus says you can recognize them. You'll know them by their fruit. Now that's what we'll look at more next week. Uh, But Jesus wants us to understand you really can recognize them and Jesus wants to equip us to recognize them. But let me me end this subpoint by saying this plainly. Don't think false prophets are good, well-meaning, but simply misguided folks. They are not. They very well may be misguided themselves. I think most of them are as deceived as they are deceptive. I'll say that again. I think most of them are as deceived as they are deceptive. But that makes them all the more dangerous because they are delusional in their thinking, claiming Christ as their own, but pointing and leading people down a path that leads to death. 
Which brings us to our fourth and final subpoint this morning, damnation. Damnation. Their end and the end of those who follow them is not merely destruction, but is damnation. The Bible uses very strong and harsh words about false teachers. Verse 19, in our passage, Jesus says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 23, he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Depart from me. Peter says they're cursed, or not Peter, Paul says they're cursed, and Peter both say they're cursed. To everlasting fire, to endless destruction, to damnation. False prophets will be judged, and as teachers, they will be judged with greater strictness. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I'd like you to turn over with me to 2 Peter 2 for a minute. 2 Peter chapter 2. I've been trying to expose you to various teachings all throughout the Bible uh, about false prophets. And I want to end this little subpoint by just going through this chapter because it's a very important chapter on evaluating false teachers and considering their end. And so we're going to just read through chapter 2 here. First, in verses 1 through 3, Peter's going to talk about how, just like there were false prophets in the, um, alongside the true prophets of God in the Old Testament who misled the people of God, the same will be true of God's New Testament people, the church. So he begins, 2 Peter 2, verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, that's the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you, the new, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many... There's that, bro- there's that word again, and many will follow their sensuality. Now that might be referring to their sexual sin, or more broadly the word just means lack of self-control. So many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, there's that selfishness, that self-serving, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. He's saying it, it's burning, ready for them. In the next section, verses 4 through 10, Peter pronounces judgment on these false prophets. He says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept under the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. 
Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous, now he's talking about those false prophets he's been talking about, under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and, mark this, despise authority. And I read that and I thought, well, that's an interesting little note, little insight into false teachers because the false teachers you're aware of, wouldn't you say they're usually lone wolves? That they build a ministry all around themselves where they're the head honcho, they're the man, and everybody else works for them and orbits around them and their ministry. That is because they despise authority because they don't want to be held accountable. Now, in verses 10 through 16 here, Peter describes the character of false prophets. He says, they are bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. I think he's talking about evil angels there. He's saying he's pr they're presumptuous over them, presumptuous in the way that they just treat them as though they have very little power. He says, whereas angels, though greater in might and power than us, he's saying, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. What are they? They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you, probably referring to taking the Lord's Supper. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They un entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Peter anathemizes them. He curses them for their evil. Verse 15, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam. Remember Balaam from Numbers, 11, or Numbers 22 and 23? Spent his life gaining things at other people's expense by means of wrongdoing. He says, they're like, they follow the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained that prophet's madness. Peter concludes in verses 17 through 22 by revisiting the influence of false prophets. He says, these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. <laughs> Mark this next sentence. For them, the gloom of outer, or utter darkness has been reserved. The gloom of utter darkness. For speaking loud boast of folly, they enticed by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in air. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness then after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has, has happened to them. The dog returns to his vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire.
In other words, you'll recognize them by their fruit, that they were never really converts. They were just dogs. They were just pigs. Beware of false prophets, friends. They are coming and in fact are already here. We have a myriad of these piped pipers in our day and we need to be warned about them. We need to be warned and we need to watch out for them, which is what verses 16 and 20 is about. And so this is where I would have said point number two this morning. But we'll leave that for next week. Jesus does assure us we can recognize them by their fruit and he wants us to equip wants to equip us in that. That's next week. In the meantime, let me conclude today leaving with you with a few thoughts for reflection and application. The first is this. With our passage today and the many others we've looked at, I don't think our Lord is encouraging heresy hunting. He doesn't want us to be censorious or judgmental. Uh, There are YouTube channels and podcasts devoted to this, just nitpicking all of what popular pastors teach or what other people teach and just kind of breaking down, you know, this and that and that. And I just find them largely unhelpful. Um, They are usually uncharitable people who have too much time on their hands, apparently, because they just comb through things and just try to find the insiance little mistake and just blow that into disproportion. Like, that's not what Jesus is calling us to here. But I do think he is warning us about a clear and present danger, and so he wants us to be Bereans. Do you remember the Bereans from Acts chapter 17? We're told that they examined the scriptures daily to see if the things that they were being taught were true. And let me just exhort you on being a Berean. There's a lot of people in our day, because of all that we have access to on the internet, all the sermons we have available to us, and all the books that we can read that's freely available, and all, it's just so easy to consume, 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 and not examine what you were being taught. It's easy to hear and to listen and to hear and to listen, but to not really digest what you are being taught. As a pastor, it just (laughs) drives me nuts sometimes when people come up to me and they say, you know, something like, I sure wish that, you know, you you would teach about this or or you you would teach about this. And, And I know you mean well if this mistake, mistakes happen, you know, there's charity all around, I love you all, but sometimes I'm just like, I just taught on that like a month ago. I just, I, I just, thought, and it sounds very self-serving to say like, well, I, here's a sermon I preached, you know, like, <laughs> and, and I don't want to embarrass anyone and say like, well, I, I actually, I did just teach, but I think sometimes that's because we listen and we don't consume. We hear, but we're not examining the word about what we are taught. And so we need to be Bereans, I think Jesus would have us be Bereans. I think also he would have us be discerning, discerning. Hebrews chapter five, verse 14. Write that down if you're taking notes. Um, that's a passage you can, you can digest this week. Hebrews five fourteen says, but solid food is for the mature. Okay, who's the mature? Those who have their powers of discernment trained. Well, how do I train my powers of discernment? By constant practice. Constant practice of what? 
distinguishing good from evil. The mature are those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice distinguishing good from evil, right from wrong. This is a good passage for us. If ever there was a need in our church today, the church in America today, it's the ability to separate good from evil. So I exhort you to constantly practice this and to make this the content of your discussions at the dining room table and Thanksgiving meals and all that. Is it talking about what's happening in the day, what you're learning, and testing it against Scripture? I also believe, through all these passages, our Lord wants us to have courage. He wants us to be Bereans. He wants us to be discerning. I also believe he wants us to have courage to acknowledge the verdict of God when we see false teaching. It is not something to shrug our shoulders over. It is not something to dismiss and say, oh well, what can I do about that? That kind of mentality shrugs at people being marched towards hell. It is wrong, it is evil, and its end is destruction. I had someone come up to me after the service today and, and say, while you were preaching, I felt like the Lord gave me a picture from Lord of the Rings. I said, oh my goodness, like, I didn't even have a Lord of the Rings, but the Lord supplies <laughs> through his people. I mean, it's just obviously a gift of prophecy then. And so I, I said, what is it? And they said, I just had that picture of Gandalf standing there on the bridge with the staff, you shall not pass. And, the, and that sense that we, and they said, especially the, uh, the, the mature believers in our midst, the older people in our midst, need to be like that for the younger people in our midst and say, you shall not pass. That right there is a heresy. That right there is false teaching. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be in your face in a bad way about it. I'm trying to say I will engage you over every little text on this. We need to have the courage to do that. To reject it and resist it. Lastly, last thing, while we do need to exercise judgment and with courage when it comes to false prophets, we have to issue judgment rightly. And Bert taught us very well about this from Matthew chapter seven, verses one through six. We have to judge them rightly, which means the first principle in judging rightly is we begin with what? That was a real clear signal for you to get the right answer. You judge me first, that's right, thank you Richard. No, you judge yourselves, and then you judge me. You begin by judging yourself ourselves, right? We look for the log in our own eye. Judgment begins at the house of God, 1 Peter 4, 17. So, here is a passage for you to take with you this week and meditate on. We looked at it earlier. Uh, whoever's running, if you could put up the slide again. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I would exhort you this week to begin with yourself. What kind of teaching do my ears itch for?
I encourage you, look through your podcast or whatever it is you use to listen to sermons or Christians talking. Uh, Examine the books on your shelves or on your nightstand that you plan on reading. Are you accumulating for yourself teachers that suit your own passions? And maybe they don't rise to the level of outright false prophet. They're not teaching necessarily what's against scripture. But do they emphasize something so much and is the emphasis of your diet of study such that you neglect other things, the whole counsel of God? Because you need to be careful because that can lead you astray. Overemphasis is very dangerous. So begin with yourself. Are you lopsided in your own study? Judge yourself, invite the input of your spouse and the input of your close friends. Let's be humble here, let's be diligent to remove the log of our own eye first. Only then will we be able to help others, our brothers, remove the speck from their eye. Only then can we stand and say, you shall not pass. So we start with ourselves. Now next week, next week we're gonna look at verses 16 through 20. We're gonna examine uh, how, we, how it is we can recognize false prophets. We're gonna talk about that. And I want to give you real examples so that I'm not living up in this world of kind of, yeah, he was talking about things, but who exactly is he worried about here? And I wanna give you real life examples and I have a mind to kind of work my way out in, meaning those that are out there that I don't think influence us that much to those who I think are influencing some of us. And so I wanna get very real with you. If you'd like to make suggestions, send me an email. I'll consider it. But we begin this week by examining ourselves. And we say, Lord, let there not be any spot or wrinkle or defilement in me. Keep me pure, Lord, by your grace. We begin there. All right. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you that your word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. God, you have given us this precious word, which is truth and keeps us from error. I thank you too, Lord. I just just felt this... um, Studying this passage this week, I I just was impressed by this feeling that we know you, Jesus, as as this gentle and lowly who says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and that's how we come to you most often, because we need you, and we we, we feel our weaknesses, and we feel our sins, and we need for you, and so we do come to you like that, But, but I just felt your same heart expressed in a different way through this passage, now, that you're like this, this protector. Now, just like, I had a picture of me just warning my kids, be careful of that kid in the neighborhood. He's a bad influence. Or uh, of an, a parent of an older kid say, you know, like, just be careful. Don't, don't do that. Don't abuse that substance. Or don't drive like that. It's dangerous. Trust me, it's dangerous. I'm not trying to keep you from fun. I'm trying to protect you. And I just felt... Something of that kind of a heart in this passage that you have for us, Jesus. You just want to protect us. And so I just, I bless you, Jesus. I praise you as the protector of this church. Keep us and help us to, to grow in our discernment, our power of discernment, Lord, distinguishing between good and evil. 
We want this, Lord, for our own good and health and safety, Lord. We want to stay on the road that leads to life. We also wanna do good for other people who are led astray, misguided. God, we wanna help them. So equip us to send us out to help them, Lord. And we also want your name to be glorified as we trust your word and keep your word by faith. So keep us, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.